0: Hi, this is Brad Redderson, and welcome to Stranova Strategic Edge, a bi-weekly audio business program where we explore emerging strategies in strategic innovation from the edges of the business ecosystem. In this shorter companion program to our bi-weekly Stranova interview podcast, we explore the implications of some of the newest strategic trends in business from all over the world and present them every other week, alternating with our regular interview series. So, thanks for tuning in and let's get started with this episode of Stranova Strategic Edge. There's an old saying in the English language that one shouldn't count one's chickens until they're hatched. Well, right now there's a lot of chicken counting going on, literally and metaphorically, over the rapidly spreading deadly virus strain H5N1, also known in the press as the bird flu. Although the accuracy of all these counts is hard to verify, based on the best information I could gather as of this podcast release, first. On the bird side of things, according to current statistics from the World Organization for Animal Health, there have been over 2,300 cases found in Vietnam alone, over 1,000 in Thailand, with other cases reported in significant numbers in Indonesia, Russia, Turkey, the People's Republic of China, and Romania. In a recent online report, drug manufacturer GlaxoSmithKline also estimates that, quote, it is now thought that as many as 200 million birds could be infected. With this deadly strain of the virus, On the human side, the disease first surfaced in Hong Kong in 1997, when six people died. Quick and somewhat drastic actions by the Chinese government appear to have halted the spread from that first infection, but it reappeared in February 2003, when a 33-year-old Hong Kong man died of the virus. Since that time, according to data provided by the World Health Organization as of February 27, 2006, There have been 173 confirmed human cases of avian flu and 93 deaths. Vietnam has the largest percentage of these, with 93 cases reported and 42 deaths. Although most cases to date have been reported in Asia, recently four children died of the disease in Turkey and the first human cases have just been confirmed in Iraq. Both bird infections and deaths are spreading as well, moving along migratory bird routes into poultry farms and in wild swans and ducks, among other creatures. Within the Middle East and Europe, Iran, Turkey, France, Italy, and Germany have all reported what are currently felt to be small outbreaks of the disease. In Africa, Nigeria confirmed in early February 2006 that it had recently discovered the first cases of the disease in the Jaji, Kano, and Plateau regions, and that literally thousands of chickens have been dying in Jaji all over the last month. They are currently evaluating there to see if two children they've isolated may in fact now be their first human cases as well. In this episode of Sternova Strategic Edge, we're going to explore a slightly different aspect of this very serious issue than you've probably heard so far. We're going to talk about how this bug is affecting business from a number of perspectives and from all around the globe. The first player in this cast is the disease itself, which is a scary one. Unlike the seasonal flu that many of us have experienced firsthand, the H5N1 virus, when it affects humans, moves into the lungs much more deeply than its more ordinary cousin. The human body then reacts to the infection by releasing large quantities of fluids deeply into the lungs alveolar sacs, which in turn can cause those infected to suffocate without some means of draining the fluids. In fact, because this infection is so deep and the immune system reaction to it one of the keys to why it is so deadly, some believe that it will be the ordinarily most healthy among us with the strongest immune systems that are most likely to die as a result of the infections. Weaker immune systems which will not react as strongly will have less severe reactions and the evidence so far suggests that at least a third of those who are infected may die from this particular disease and its complications. In addition, it is thought that this disease is of a similar design to the 1918 flu virus that eventually killed over 20 million people worldwide. In that case, the flu virus had mutated into one that was readily spread from human to human. So far, however, The current flu virus is hard to catch and is not spread through the air. It is, instead, spread through eating uncooked birds or in contaminated fluids from live infected birds. The disease itself seems still to be difficult for people to contract, but genetic mutations as well as what is known as genetic reassortment, where mixtures of normal flu viruses and the more deadly avian flu varieties intermingle, could at any moment create a variety that is both deadly and easy to contract. The second part of the system is the bird population itself, which has both farm-based subgroups and wild migrating species. Whether the numbers are truly as high as the 200 million GlaxoSmithKline mentioned in its own online report, it does appear the disease is spreading readily, both through direct bird-to-bird contact, as well as through bird fluid contamination of other materials, such as in hay where the birds may have been kept, being brought into otherwise uncontaminated groups of birds. Wild swans, geese, ducks, and other birds that are not farmed also appear to be spreading the disease, moving upwards from Asia into Russia, across the Middle East, and into the European continent. Migrating birds often winter near the Caspian and Black Seas, and through their connections there, Azerbaijan, Greece, and Turkey now have seen infected wild swans. In Europe, similar infected species have been found in Italy, France, and now Germany, as we mentioned earlier. And in Africa, Where, as I mentioned earlier, Nigeria has now reported infections in birds, the reality that chickens and people often move back and forth together in the same facilities is raising concerns that the jump to people there may be easier than in some other locations. The Western Hemisphere does not appear to have been hit yet in this way, but it probably is just a matter of time. The third part of the system is the food chain for the infected birds, which includes us as humans, as well as cats and other creatures. This week it was reported that a dead cat in Germany was found to have been killed by the H5N1 virus, and it is reasonable to believe other animals that have eaten live infected birds are now dying of the virus. A fourth group of importance here is the drug manufacturing industry, which has been moving with all deliberate speed both to mass-produce the drugs it already has to minimize the effects of the virus, as well as to create and distribute new ones to the masses. These include drugs both for the birds themselves, which are being inoculated now in a number of countries in the hopes to save the bird populations and stop the infection spreading further through its current most favored distribution route, as well as for people. On the people side, existing drugs Tamiflu from Roche Pharmaceuticals and Relenza from GlaxoSmithKline have been shown to reduce the spread of flu, avian or otherwise. While this kind of treatment doesn't actually treat the H5N1 virus directly, it does give the body's immune system a chance to respond more effectively, thereby slowing the disease. In response to the potential threat of the H5N1 virus itself, multiple companies have moved into action with vaccines developed to prevent people from coming down with the virus. Chiron Pharmaceuticals of California, for example, will be supplying the United Kingdom with $62.5 million worth of this specific vaccine just for that one country, with 70% of the order expected to be delivered this month, March 2006, with the balance to be delivered in the fall. They, along with GlaxoSmithKline, have applied for fast-track approval of their vaccines from the European Medicines Agency, or EMEA, running in parallel with the actual building up of manufacturing capability to produce the vaccine. France's Sanofi aventis S.A. is also developing a targeted vaccine for this as well, and is apparently under contract to deliver it to the U.S. and Australia. The governments themselves are the next part of the network, and they've been involved in a number of ways of dealing with the outbreaks. One approach has been the widespread killing of birds once any trace of disease is detected within them. In Hong Kong, where, as I mentioned earlier, H5N1 first appeared briefly in 1997 when six people died, the People's Republic of China responded by ordering and executing the killing of Hong Kong's entire 1.5 million bird population. Since that first bird culling, it is estimated that over 180 million birds worldwide have either been killed by the disease or slaughtered as countries try to stop its spread, according to the United Nations Food and Agriculture Organization. If you consider how important chicken is as a worldwide food source, as well as the other implications, these sort of steps, although they may be necessary, are affecting a key part of our own food chain. A second governmental approach is to ban the introduction of possibly infected poultry in countries where bird flu infections have been minimal or non-existent. With France's recent discovery of flocks infected with bird flu, countries such as Japan and the United States have instituted bans on imports of chicken produced from the affected regions. The impacts of bans like these are very significant, with France itself, the largest exporter of chicken from Europe, estimated to be incurring losses as high as 40 million dollars a month. A third step governments are following is the mass inoculation of their own poultry stocks with vaccines to protect the birds from being contaminated. In late February 2006, for example, France started vaccinating some 300,000 geese and ducks in Landis in the southwestern part of the country where foie gras is one of the most popular exports. Governments are also moving on the ordering of drugs like Tamiflu and Relenza, that may minimize the effects of the disease after it appears, as well as funding and ordering vaccines to prevent it ever taking hold in the first place. As some examples... Belgium is arranging to have 3 million doses of bird flu vaccine by the end of 2007, with the goal of protecting 30% of the population. France is preparing to have 14 million doses of bird flu vaccine available for its population. Greece has ordered 200,000 doses of Tamiflu and says it will have sufficient quantities of antiviral vaccines in place soon. The Netherlands was to have 2.6 million doses of vaccine available about this time with another 2.4 million in place by early 2007. The United Kingdom is contracting for a total of 14.6 million courses of antiviral drugs as well as as many as 2 million doses of specific H5N1 vaccines. And the United States has ordered 12.4 million courses of Tamiflu and 1.7 million of Relenza, in addition to the 5.5 million courses of the drug already in stock. It is also executing plans to be able to inoculate 25% of the U.S. population with bird flu vaccine, if required. The final component to cover here in this minicast is the human element. And in this case, I mean the uninfected human element. It's actually a very good place to cover in this part of things, near the end of the minicast, especially after I may have scared you quite a bit by all the statistics and numbers so far. As in a number of things that dominate the news lately, the bird flu talk is engendering fear in a number of people. The news media, by their nature, have a if-it-bleeds-it-leaves-the-newscast mentality anyway, with death being, for some reason, far more arresting for people to watch than a widespread breakout of health. And the ambulance chaser drug distributors are already out there stirring the pot. And by those, I do not mean the mainstream manufacturers. I mean instead those whose Google ads pop up whenever you do a search on the flu and offer you the opportunity to corner the local market on all antiviral stockpiles in your town so that you can be the only family left standing when the entire neighborhood dies off from the avian flu. Beyond the desire to stockpile drugs, The human reaction has already contributed to plummeting demand for poultry worldwide. In France, consumers are buying 20% less chicken than a year ago. And in Italy, poultry sales are down by as much as 40% from two years ago. Tyson Foods and Pilgrim's Pride, major distributors of chicken within the U.S., just withdrew their last growth forecasts and are expected to report considerably lower projected sales going forward. And this food chain propagates downstream as well. The prices of Argentine and Brazilian soy meal and French corn, all used to feed poultry in Europe, have been dropping as well as farms reduce the number of chickens they are currently raising for sale. This doesn't mean this isn't a serious business. There are people dying of avian flu, and the disease may indeed mutate into a form that is highly contagious, as a number of people have suggested. But for now, panicking isn't, to me at least, a wise course of action. Any more than Intel saying its chip forecast for the next two quarters is down a bit is a cause to drive the stock market plummeting. So, what should you do about all this? Well, one step is to get educated yourself and read up on what's really happening regarding the avian flu. A second step is to insist that your local and national governments have a reasonable plan in place to deal with what could happen here. I personally believe that, in addition to having stockpiles of antiviral drugs like Tamiflu and Relenza and making vaccines available, We need ready availability of tests that can quickly determine whether or not you have this specific flu. Beyond that, we need fast-track means of getting antivirals into the bodies of those who we determine are infected, so that people's own immune systems can be allowed to fight what they end up contracting, in spite of all our attempts to keep that from happening at all. The reality is that often these antivirals are only most effective when taken within 8 to 12 hours after symptoms occur and with, in the U.S. at least, the steps to getting a dose of Tamiflu, often including 1. Deciding you're sick enough to call your doctor 2. Getting an appointment 3. Having the doctor determine you probably need an antiviral drug 4. Getting the drug from your pharmacist and then 5. Finally taking your first dose. It could be days or even as much as a week after you come down with the symptoms before you have anything in your body to help you fight them. So. Do your own research, talk with your own government representatives, and insist on a plan of action. But while you're at it, using the best possible information at your fingertips, please also do what you can to keep you and your neighbors from panicking. That in itself could be far more dangerous to all of us than any viral infection that might be finding its way to any of us. And in closing, it's probably good to remind you of some wisdom from another century. In the 1800s, American author Mark Twain once said, that worry is the interest paid on a debt that is not yet due. In the case of the H5N1 strain, my recommendation for you is to avoid paying any interest on that debt. We can be a far better service to our world in this serious issue by being more systemic in our thinking and involving those who have the power to make the necessary changes in our system to keep this particular little bug from getting out of hand. In addition to our Stranova interviews and strategic reflections like the one you just listened to today, we at Stranova offer strategic innovation planning services that just might be able to take your business to a higher level of creativity and growth. If you'd like to learn more, please contact us at ideas at Next on Stranova's interview series, we talk with the founders of StickyPad, a new internet service for online collaboration and communication about what's different in the new wave of Internet startups that began popping up all over starting in 2005 and at an even more rapid rate here in 2006. Listen in when our interview goes live on Monday, March 13th. If you have comments on this week's show or suggestions for topics or guests for future shows, please contact us by email at ideas@sternova.com, at our Stranova comment line at 1-408-849-4394 or via Skype by clicking on the link on our homepage. You can also join in our conversation by connecting with us on our Stranova blog by clicking the link on our homepage or going directly to blog.stranova.com. We look forward to your thoughts and the growing dialogue we're building on the intersection of strategy and innovation. This recording is copyright 2006 by Brad Redderson, and this is Brad Redderson thanking you for joining us this time at Stranova Strategic Edge.